2: You're listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast.
3: This is Paul Hawksby.
2: And Andy Jacobs.
3: And this is the H&J Daily with some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. It was an eclectic old lineup again. We went all over the shop. Um, and, we did. No uh, <laughs> well, change there. We talked about um, sneakers, didn't we? Trainers. Uh, it was a pr- programme mm. on the BBC uh, iPlayer you can download on that very subject. And, of course, uh, Michael Jordan's. Trainers went for, what, $560,000 this week?
4: <laughs> Ridiculous.
3: So, bonkers. Uh, we all that.
4: Uh, and talking of bonkers, Mike Parry. We've oh, been yeah. checking up on uh, Mike. What a segue. Uh, every every uh, week, and uh, he didn't disappoint, did he? He was on good no, form.
3: He certainly didn't. We uh, also uh, heard from David Nielsen who is Roy Cropper in Coronation Street. He gave us an insight into what life's going to be like when they start making the show again and talked a little bit of Leicester City. Um And uh, what else did we like? We heard we had some clips of the week, didn't we, from back in the day. It was clips of the week, um, Wheel of Fortune.
4: Steve Bruce, of course, continued. This just seems to be getting madder and madder. I can't decide whether that's dance or not. And uh, we had a bit of a chat after that, and I think that's just about it, that's really. Just about it, it, I think. Fun yeah. old show,
3: yeah. It was. Here it all is.
4: Congratulations to Captain Tom Moore. What a wonderful news that is. He's deservedly going yeah. to be knighted. And uh, David Beckham's heard about it. He's just started walking around his garden. You oh, know, is, he? Jealous, you know, <laughs> is he? I don't want a box of Tom Moore because the last of Thomas Moore,
3: of course, got his head cut off by Henry VIII, didn't he? That now that's not going to happen. It's just, you know, it's no, just a co differently, So happen.
4: let's not worry about that at the moment. And our good friends at Danbury Mint, a quick off the mark with a oh, yeah. Celtic FC nine-in-a-row watch. It's already out there. It's, uh, <laughs> it's fantastic. There's only 11 numerals on it and an asterisk. It's yeah. really nice. It's a oh, watch. Oh, that'll go down well. <laughs> Bit of satire. They've lost me pen. That's not helpful. There we are. Good. If I don't cross them out, I can't see where I am on my page. You'll just do them there again, wouldn't you? Such is the quality of your memory.
3: You'll just do the <laughs> same, same gag again about 30 seconds.
4: <laughs> Probably, yeah. Barca have got some massive financial problems. And mm. you know, when you look at the figures, it's not surprising. I mean, Griezmann, Griezmann's a good player, isn't he? I mean, they, oh, he and, and interesting enough, Gary Lineker was saying, why don't we get these top players at their peak, he was saying on that uh, match of the day the other day. and uh, But uh, there's a reason. The bloke gets... 725 grand a week. Mm. I mean, that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous yeah. money, isn't it? I mean, you think Aguero is on 300 grand a week. Surely mm. they should have said to his agent, Tell you what, we'll pay you 500. He, would, he wouldn't have said, Oh, no, I'm not coming. That is mad wow. money, isn't it? For, you know, no wonder they've got financial problems. I don't see how you, that's even sustainable. I, mean, right, I love Messi the way that get... we talk about such huge sums
3: of money, still as if they were players that had to go to the club's secretary. Uh, every Friday afternoon and pick up a pay packet. But it's like they're still sort of Preston plumbers and yeah. stuff, isn't it? Like, or they get, oh, yeah, they have to go and they knock on the governor's door he gives them a pay packet <laughs> with a 725 grand in it. I mean, t-
4: weekly wages for footballers, it's, a, it's very odd. It's a, just a real mad throwback, isn't it? It is, but I mean, sort of 900 grand a week for Messi. You can sort of justify that because of all the things that he brings to the club. I mean, yeah. It's a lot ridiculous amount of money, but at least he's generating. But Griezmann, I don't get that. I just think that's some mad, mad money, but there you go. Did hmm. you see the Paralympic swimmer that was chased by sharks? Uh, Paralympic swimmer Ariel Shrink had to outswim two sharks. Wow. And he said that it was basically the fastest 100 metres he's ever done. I thought, yeah, a record, a world record. That'd be one way to get the records up.
3: Yeah, it would do, wouldn't it? It would be a, it would be a hell of a way to improve <laughs> records everywhere. Just uh, just uh, get, just chuck a shark in there now and again. Even a baby one and keep you on oh, your yeah. toes.
4: It's true. I watched last night I, on your recommendation. It's a great recommendation. The Amazon World Cups. The I watched the 1962 Chile World Cup. What a mad time that was for football! It was yeah. it, it was incredible, really. The whole that, that famous game where we might speak to Tim about this, where David Coleman said it was disgusting and all that. Yeah. You know, the Chile Italy. About the Santiago's. What you're about to see it incre- is the most.
3: Disgusting! A He did all that, didn't he? It was uh, it was fantastic. Old there were some
4: amazing bits in it. Ken Aston, the English ref, yeah. he sent off the Italian bloke who'd been laid out <laughs> with a left hook by the Lionel at Sanchez of Chile. He basically gives the bloke a left hook. Oh yeah, he's out cold. And then when he comes around, he sends him off. And then at one point, the players were surrounding Ken, who was pretty tall. I reckon he was about six three six four. But his lino was about five foot one, and he sort of came over to basically protect him. It was ridiculous. Wow. And it's it's his Marlin. One of the other games I was watching, the ref looked like an overweight Oliver Hardy. He was like about mm. six Mike Rileys. I've never seen a fatter <laughs> ref in life. <laughs> they are brilliant. Um, they're well, well worth watching. I should point out with Sam Delaney, of course, who alerted us to that in his
3: uh, big issue column. Was, and that's why we had a chat mm-hmm. with him the other week. But talking of, of six Mike Rileys, lovely variation on a theme today by Take That's Gary Barlow, who um, was going through his wardrobe and found some old clothes. But rather than holding up a pair of his old trousers to show how much weight he'd lost,
5: mm. he
3: just put on one of his old jackets to illustrate the point. <laughs> so, it, if you just, it, it just, he's got this absolutely massive jacket. It basically looks like one of the jackets Michael Jordan's wearing in The Last Dance most of the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it looks quite <laughs> fashionable true, off the back of The Last Dance. But, uh, yeah, Gary, so rather than holding up the old keks puts on the old jacket go and check it out it, it does i mean he's, he's done a bit of weight you can
4: clearly see that oh he looks fantastic though compared right. to how he looked and he's, he's fit and everything isn't he yeah Brilliant. yeah uh we suffered another 600 plus and out on the table tennis we just can't get near oh. that 763 and a, it's a mental block. By you need
3: to speak to Matthew i know side to get you over the hump really don't you Someone who plays the game and it's a bloke- bit of a
4: psychologist one bloke on Instagram said to me, he said, oh, it's like the last dance. He said, that's it, You're, you've are you reached your peak. You've gone. Yeah, yeah. Break I, I saw a lot of
3: similarities yeah. watching it unfold over <laughs> ten episodes, you and Sue, in lockdown, I must say.
2: The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast.
3: On the BBC iPlayer, um, there's a very interesting little documentary. I think it was yesterday mm. it appeared. It's called Killer Kicks. It's just over uh, 20 minutes long, and uh, it was... Um, yeah, really kind of enlightening, actually. It, it featured uh, Linny. She's 26 years old. She's got 80 pairs of uh, of sneakers. And she traveled to New York and to uh, Adidas's factory in Germany and elsewhere to kind of look at uh, the shoes um, as things are now, sustainability issues, etc. And also featuring in the documentary of someone who's joined us a number of times on the show. Certainly the first time is when his book, The Sport Shoe, came out, A History from Field to Fashion. And that's uh, Thomas Turner. Thomas, good afternoon.
6: Good afternoon.
3: Yeah, it was a, it was an interesting uh, little documentary. I'd certainly not thought about the su- sustainability uh, aspects of it. I'd certainly thought about like, the collectability, but I thought that was an interesting thing that came up. But I mean, it's something that a lot of the big shoe manufacturers are, are trying to deal with.
6: Yeah, it's one of these things that is a big issue in the fashion industry as a whole at the moment. And I think if you look at the history, particularly of sports shoes, is that, it's wrapped up with the history of plastic and the use of plastic in footwear and so this has this environmental impact both in terms of how it's produced but also in terms of how you dispose of it and what you do with it at the end of the life of your trainers so one of the things that Linny was kind of trying to look at is just what happens when you throw them away where do they all go how do we perhaps make steps to recycle them perhaps cause less of an impact on the planet.
4: Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. And the the guys who who are basically reconditioning, going back to the old ways, reconditioning the trainers they've got to make them last longer, to make them look different. Uh, I thought that was a fascinating innovation.
6: Yeah, this is an amazing thing. I I love all this kind of stuff. There's these guys, there's just loads of them out there, these guys who are um, playing around with old trainers, so either restoring them for a lot of the kind of collectors who get a pair of um, you know, anything that's famous, like an Air Jordan or an Adidas, uh, you know, Samba from the 50s or something. And they send them to these guys, and they're just experts in kind of stripping them back. Re- re them remaking them putting new transfers on them kind of restitching the stripes a big thing that a lot of guys are doing and this is a, a thing that's slightly odd with the um, sustainability thing is that they're actually re-soling old trainers because one of the problems is, is you wear out the sole or it disintegrates because it's made of a unsu- uh, an unstable plastic and they put a new sole often which is taken from a, a perfectly decent new pair of trainers that's one of the weird things that's going on but yeah it's amazing all these pipes yeah. doing this I also, I mean, you know,
4: everyone's entitled to their view, but I wasn't sure about your view about limited edition uh, (laughs) and. No, because for me, I, I am. A, I collect Air Force Ones and I like yeah. the limited edition. I found a place in Shepherd's Bush that sells them. There used to be a place in Covent Garden that just had different colorways and one had Kobe Bryant's face on it and all these sort of interesting mm. items. And I think that's the exclusivity is what makes them special. I'm not, I know that they cause problems and people who haven't got money trying to get them for that reason and all the things. But I, I just thought that uh, I love the Million Dollar Room, for example. I just find the, the different <laughs> ones are
6: what makes trainers special i think you're spot on i mean that uh, it's a uh, i was it's a it's an interesting thing from a, a kind of an economic point of view the way they stimulate desire by making you uh you know releasing them in these deliberately limited editions so that people get all hyped up about them and they're worried that they're not going to be able to get a pair but you're spot on Like the whole one of the things about trainer culture or sneaker culture is just this idea that you're finding something that nobody else has and even if you look back at it in the kind of this, this in a, the sort of history of this, the limited editions, the ones that people like Bobito Garcia, who's also in the uh, documentary mm. talking about uh, his kind of history of trainer collecting, the ones that they wanted were things that were made in limited numbers anyway, because they were perhaps made for a, a particular basketball team or a sports team, and so they were made in a particular set of colours just for that group and the whole thing about it was trying to find things that nobody else had and you could get something unusual. I think it's just interesting the way that the, the sneaker manufacturers kind of came upon that sort of accidentally, if you like they didn't they kind of didn't quite realize it that making them in a uh, reducing the supply of them would actually increase the demand in a way mm. we're going to come on to an expensive pair of match
3: worn uh, trainers in a moment, but uh, in the in the room in New York when Lee was there, and she goes into this kind of mm. inner sanctum of very, very expensive highly like a vault of highly collectible uh, sneakers i mean some of the prices are worth um telling us about i mean for example what are the most expensive most exclusive
6: new sneakers you can buy goodness knows i mean it's the ones that are most expensive are always uh, are a lot of the collaboration so there was a a travis scott jordan which became really expensive and i think what linney was kind of trying to highlight in that was just the way that there is this resale market so they might get re- sold by nike or adidas or or, or whoever uh, uh initially and then they get bought up by people who sell them on later at a massive massive markup and some of the shoes that you see might be the off-whites that have been made with virgil abloh some of the yeezys that are connected up with kanye west some of the stuff with travis scott uh with the jordan brand and these are ones that that resell for thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Like some of the ones that they were talking about in the flight club vault, where you've got shoes that are priced up at $27,000 or something.
4: Wow. Yeah. It, it was funny when she met the uh, guy who was involved in Adidas and recycling. And she said, so how many trainers have you got? And he said, two. And she was yeah. absolutely shocked. But <laughs> I can see why people have lots of pairs because you want different colorways for different clothes. So if you're wearing, like I'm wearing a brown top today. So I've got shoes that are brown, air force ones you know what i mean see isn't that why people have lots of different pairs i would have thought
6: yeah it is i mean people it is it is a way of you can match it up with your clothes it's a way of kind of being fashionable and changing your look and your style and all that kind of thing i think one of the things that's happened over the last I don't know the last few years is that the number of pairs of shoes that people have has increased so if you look if you look back over time the number of pe- sho- shoes that people would have in their wardrobe would be you know one or two pairs whereas that's just increased massively more recently and I think one of the things that you see with sneakers particularly is that just in real terms the cost of them has come down hugely so you could buy a pair of air force 1s now and if you look back in catalogues from 20 years ago from 1982 when they were first released, the prices are sort of kind of similar. So you might have something that would have been, say, 50, 60 dollars in uh, 1985 is now sort of 70 dollars in 2020. So you've got this kind of the increase in them hasn't been that great, which has allowed people to have more pets. I don't know how much you delve into the sort of match
3: worn uh, or game worn market, Thomas. But th- we, we will talk about the, the Michael Jordan autograph shoes from '85, uh, the Air Jordan Ones that went for five hundred sixty thousand dollars. Mad, uh, a record. The That's other interesting thing, of course. Shoes. Yeah, the other interesting <laughs> thing, of course, is that he wore uh, a size thirteen on his left foot and a thirteen and a half on his right. So, I mean, yeah. I wonder if, if, you know, if you are someone who likes uh, trainers, sneakers, and wants to collect, and you've got slightly, I mean, that's that's difficult, isn't it? It's not the sort of thing you can do off
6: the shelf. Well, you can't get, I mean, that's because they were made especially for of Jordan, course, yeah, one of yeah. the things about that pair is that, mm. you know, they're... they're, they're, they're they've got all the markups they're a player sample so nike guys would have been able to say well we want this made in this size um yeah i mean if you're a collector i mean this is one of the big things do you collect to buy shoes do you collect shoes that you're going to wear uh, or do you collect shoes just because you value them as kind of investment or as a work of sort of design or art or something like that uh, and there is a big kind of divide i think between collectors who just you know guys who wear them uh, and and the people who are putting them down almost as a you know, like a, a sort of an asset or something. Sure, yeah. You'd
4: have to, in that case, you'd have to buy two pairs. You'd yeah. wear the 13 and the 13 and a half, and you'd have to find somebody else who was a 13 and a half on the other foot. Well, just have yeah, like those. a sort of
3: forum. I'm looking for someone who's got a 13 and a half right foot and a, and a, and a 13 left foot. Anybody want to pair of air, air Jordans. And the interesting thing as well from the last dance, which I'm sure you've, you've watched as yeah. well, Thomas, is that, Is that that he really wasn't keen on Nike. I mean, Nike was not a cool brand at that time, was he? He really had to have his arm twisted. He wanted to be with Adidas. He was a bit put out, really. It was only his agent said, look, you know, these are good guys to work with. But I wonder what would have happened to the brand had Jordan dug his heels in. I think
6: this is just one of the great questions—the sort of what ifs, the, the counter, sort of counter history, alternative histories of the, the trainer world. What would have happened mm. if Jordan had signed for Adidas? I think what mm. what it was was this marriage of a company, Nike. You know, Nike had been very successful in the nineteen seventies off the jogging boom, but in the early eighties it kind of dipped and was not doing quite so well, and it it was willing to sort of bet everything on Jordan being. The kind of savior of their company and that was why they were willing to put so much effort into getting him to sign for them in the first place but then also to build this brand around him and build the line of shoes and clothing that you know he can still get today i think if he'd signed with adidas he might perhaps have got shoes which were a bit more you know initially would have been perhaps slightly better but i don't think adidas would have done the same made the same effort around him as an individual they would have had him as one of a series of basketball stars that they were promoting and i don't think he would have had i don't think he would have been quite such a big star as he is today or as he became in the 1990s if you hadn't have had the whole kind of nike advertising machine really pushing him as well
3: yeah well thomas good to talk to you again i'll take it the book is is still available the book is still available get it on uh, amazon online places lovely yes a beautiful coffee table book we do recommend it so yeah we'll catch up with you again Thomas thanks very much the Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast
2: from Talk Sport
3: Hawksby and Jacobs here on Talk Sport time then for our weekly update we keep an eye on him um, as all good neighbours do Mike Parry in lockdown good afternoon Mike
7: uh, yeah, good afternoon, fellas, and I have to thank you very much indeed for putting that anthem up, of course, at Cars Everton. On the anniversary of the last time we won a trophy, the FA Cup in 1995 at Wembley, Ooh. we beat the growing Manchester United team, the double champions from the year before, and I have to say I was there that day, and it was a wonderful day.
3: Uh, yes, I do remember that. It a Paul yeah. Rideout goal, wasn't it?
7: Paul Wright, yeah, that's right, 1-0 yeah, and all that. So Alex Ferguson sure. looked fed up that we'd won it. Um, mm. I had a, That was the end of my mm. career at the FA, by the way, because right. I was actually <laughs> working for the FA uh, at the time, but I forgot that I was supposed to be neutral. So I just uh, kind of ran around <laughs> all, uh, you know, all the executive areas at Wembley, jumping <laughs> up and down, and uh, after the game, I made a beeline for Joe Royal the uh, Everton manager, obviously, and I told everybody else at the FA to get out of the way. You know, I was going to personally escort <laughs> Joe Royal into the banqueting suite, and uh, this man shall be given a knighthood and an honour, and who's going to get going on that? So I, I didn't make myself terribly popular.
3: Now, Mike, um, yeah. I understand that you're quite keen to reintroduce wolves, as I say, no, yes. not football related, the, the, the animal, the, the wolf, yes. uh, back into the UK.
7: Yeah, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, wolves are nice creatures. They get a very uh, bad press um, yeah. to use, uh, you know, something to relate them to our industry because ever since old uh, Hans Christian Andersen wrote Little Red Riding Hood, um, everybody thinks that wolves go around gobbing up little children and all this kind of stuff. In fact, yeah. wolves are fantastic creatures. They are more placid than dogs. They're more loyal than, you know, dogs. They're they're, they're beautiful creatures. And the reason why we've got to start listening back to this country is that a pack of wolves were spotted in Normandy last week. Normandy, as you know, is just across the English Channel from our great um, Spectred Isle. And without a shadow of a doubt, we'll have them here... Within months, if not years, and we should embrace them. Wolves are not dangerous. If you were walking through a forest and a pack of wolves were coming towards you, they'd be incredibly <laughs> friendly. You haven't <laughs> got a problem. I
3: would no. <laughs> no, let's not put, if you're going I'm to like, Normandy at any point, <laughs> don't put that to, don't say, well, Mike said it'd be all right as if yeah. clothes are torn from your
7: body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no I'm, t- I'm telling you that they are an incredibly friendly creature. They just want to no. sort of be loved. And also, Let me tell you this, whereas uh, we've let this country go to racket and ruin with Mm. um, herds of deer growing up all over the place, and deers carry ticks, which give you things like Lyme disease, wolves are brilliant because what wolves do is they go and attack all these herds of deers and get rid of them. And then they don't don't become a threat to life. Also... Also, wolves have a fantastic psychological effect on the rest of our natural um, nature cycle because the thing is that other animals think wolves are dangerous but they're not and so the other animals stay out of the way and that gives things like riverbanks and pastures and fields the ability to grow naturally and become better fertile ground. Obviously,
3: the deer don't regard them as that friendly because they're being torn to pieces in Richmond (laughs) Park.
7: No, 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 that's right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Bushy Park, actually. All right, around your way, okay. I I did it regularly. Uh, But deer are are fairly useless, if you see what I mean. Apart from being like Bambi, the deer Mm. don't have a great role to play in the ecological, uh, you know, structure of our lives. So, I mean... Does anybody ever complain when you see a great, you know, bit of footage from South Africa of a lion chasing an impala or something like that? People don't care about the victims. They mm. care about the animals that uh, actually... You see, I'm not sure you boys take these things seriously. Well, uh, uh, Mike, I'm with you all the way.
3: I just i am a bit nervous about them wandering around the Arndale Centre packs of worms. I mean, they may be friendly. When you've got one yeah. on a lead and I see you in Bushy Park and I'll give it a stroke and it's nice to me, uh, I'll so, know.
7: They're, no, they're very frightened of humans, honestly. They want to attack humans. Don't worry about that.
3: How will they cope in an ice age? Because um, I know you <laughs> well, think we're entering a new ice age.
7: We are entering a new ice age. Uh, as you know, I'm a student of the moon, OK? Mm. Now, that's only one planet which fascinates me. The other one, of course, is the sun. The sun is 4.6 billion years old. And the thing that's happening at the birthday. moment is... That, yeah, well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah
3: not sun, today. Is it not today, is it? not exactly yeah, yeah. today. Oh, okay, no, right, no. Yeah. the anniversary
7: okay. today is everton's fa cup victory in oh, okay, 95 right, yeah. um yeah. the sun is currently going through what we describe as a solar minimum mm. and what a solar minimum means is, is that the sun is getting colder right and yeah. if the sun is getting colder it means the earth is going to get colder um now people will say you know a ridiculous um uh, forecast and all that but you only have to go back to the 17th and 18th centuries, which isn't a very long time ago, considering the sun is 4.6 m- uh, billion years old. Mm. And, of course, in those days, we used to light bonfires on the frozen River Thames because it was such an ice age, the ice was three or four feet thick. We used to have snow in July. And yeah. that's because that was the last period of solar minimum. What happens, what happens in solar minimum is that the, the sun has an explosion of sprites. And sprites are like little volcanoes on the far side of the sun which Mm. blow out all the energy in the wrong direction it doesn't come here i'm telling you i'm telling you fellas i have spoken to people who know about these things and there is a 76 percent chance we'll enter an ice age in the next
4: 30 years
3: Oh, okay. Well, I, yeah. we should have yeah, quite hot we should, today. good chance boiling. we'll probably <laughs> avoid it. I won't be buying my overcoat yet. So, uh,
4: <laughs> yeah. um, well, what about the the, uh, your,
3: the pie? I'm yeah. quite interested in this. Oh, yeah. Your, now, uh, I saw some pictures, Mike, of you the other day. You were about to make yourself a little tasty Sunday dinner and you had all your veg all laid out. Yes. And in the middle yeah. of it was a tinned uh, meat pie, wasn't it? A fray bentos <laughs> <Frey-bentos. laughs> steak yeah. and yeah. kidney pie in a tin. And yeah. you got a lot yeah. of heat from what you call the food snobs about your tinned
7: pie. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly did. I mean, the point is, at the moment, uh, we're in lockdown. Now, if you are a serious case like me, and I have to say, I really appreciated a headline I saw in one of the national newspapers this morning. Yeah. If you've got diabetes 2 you're four times more likely to die. Oh, thanks. That's a great uh, great wake-up call this morning, wasn't it? But remember, remember I'm also obese. Uh, the diabetes two, uh underlying heart condition, mm. and, um, of course, if I have to venture out, I can only make uh, very rare incursions into places like supermarkets, all that. Now, the point is, I have to do it like a commando raid. I have to get in and get out as quickly as I can. I can't mm. spend time messing around, choosing, you know, whichever joint of meat or poor pie I want. Um, the, the most reliable thing you can do is get something that's already in a can because you know that there's no question of the quality. So I had all the vegetables and the potatoes and all the uh, herbs and all that kind of stuff. I put my pie right in the middle, and then all these dreadful people, you know, dreadful food snobs, you know, sending me all these sort of messages, you know, that's disgusting, and all that kind of stuff. I love Fred uh, Benson's state and kidney pies. I think they're brilliant. There's nothing better. People often object when I tell them that I love kippers for breakfast. Hmm. And they say, where do you get them from, Craster or the Island Man? I said, no, i get them out of a tin from Morrison's supermarket because they are lovely They are lovely kippers. And nice. I, 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 I see absolutely no problem. Well, well, hang on, hang on, you guys eat food out of tins, you eat beans... Don't yeah. you eat peas and all that? So what's the difference? Yeah, I'm not beans, turning my yeah. nose
3: up. Andy's the
4: food snob, Mike. Uh, not me. I don't think he'd be eating <clears> a tin <throat> pie. No, no, you, I'm, I'm not. I, I'm nothing wrong with a pie in a tin. Oh, oh, I, I've always been fascinated by those fray-benters because you, sort of, you have to open the can, don't you? Then the, the yeah. pastry puffs up. and it's, It is basically yeah. just like cooking a pie, really, once you've, once you've opened it.
7: No, it is. You're absolutely right. And you put it into, you know, a hot oven with yeah. a fan and all that kind of stuff. You know, very mm. modern oven and all that kind of stuff. And you're quite right, Andy. All the ingredients are there. And the only thing that's different is that they, the puff pastry rises on the top of the pie. And it's absolutely fantastic, you know. And uh, and, and I've got absolutely... Yeah. You know, quite a fancy them one. Yeah. Do you remember years ago, fellows? Do you yes, remember probably when, uh, you know... When you were a student, Paul, do you remember the Vesta beef curry?
3: Oh yeah, yeah. They were they were the height of sophistication, oh, yeah. weren't they? The,
7: the boil, boiling in oh, yeah. a bag. Yeah, you got you got rice in in the sort of you know rice paper bag. You got this what they called the meat, and the meat was like concrete hard sort of brown <laughs> pellets of something, which you put into boiling water, and it turned into curry. And do you know what? They are the best curries I've ever had. I've spent the well, last 25 <laughs> years searching for them because nothing, nothing matches, the, <laughs> nothing best matches curry. the best to beef curry, honestly. Now, Mike,
3: we've got a couple of minutes. We haven't got long now. We've got a couple of minutes for you to tell us how you nearly wrote Mike Tyson's autobiography because he's back in yes. the news. He wants to fight again. This, this sounds intriguing. So if you can give us a, a, a potted sure. version of it, we'd be grateful.
7: Sure. I'd I'd hate Mike Tyson to fight again because I want to remember him as the baddest man in the world, you know, World Heavyweight Champion at 20 and all that kind of stuff. But a few years ago, I was approached by the man who brought, do you remember Mike Tyson was brought to this country and did a sort of national tour and he was Mm. hanging out of windows in Manchester and hundreds of thousands of people, you know, bus tours and all that kind of stuff. Well, I, um, I I was quite a well-known author then. You know, I'd done oh. all the, my successful books, Rooney Tunes and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? And, uh, and Alan Brazil's book and all that. And mm. um, and, and they came to him. We had a meeting in London with a publisher. And Mike Tyson wanted somebody to write his life story. Would you fancy going over to America and spending three months with Mike and doing it? I said, absolutely. And he said, uh, I've got one great story for you already because I met him. He said he was in Las Vegas with, um, what's his name, Don King, you know? And uh, they had a meeting in Caesar's Palace, and Don said, come on, let's go for a drive and talk about this. And Mike Tyson was in the back seat and was absolutely convinced that uh, Don King was taking him out in the desert to kill him. Um, So Mike sitting in the back seat, and the minder, Don King's minder, was in the front seat. Mike put his foot through the back of the seat, Smashed the man forward through the windscreen and left him on the bonnet of the car. Driver. Um, the driver was quite shocked, so he stopped. Uh, Mike Tyson got out and yeah, and hitchhiked his way back <laughs> into town. Be. And 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 it was going to be a, a book along those sort of lines: the excesses of Mike Tyson. Problem was, uh, Mike Tyson wanted five million dollars for the book, and in the end, I was on the verge of going when all of a sudden the publisher pulled out and wouldn't pay it because they thought. Seriously, Mike Tyson was just too bad a man to to be the subject of a, a, a great big selling book.
3: Wow, interesting. How come How would have been so interesting to have spent time with him, but
7: um... oh, it would have been fantastic. I would, I would yeah. have loved it because I, I still revere him. you know I mean, he wasn't oh. a very nice man. you know I did enough research to find out that, that he, he had aspects of his life which were really deplorable uh, his attitude to women and that kind of stuff. But nevertheless, one of the most fascinating men of my lifetime, and I would yeah. have loved to have done that book. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Well, look, stay safe, Mike. We will
7: catch up with you next
3: week. Thanks, guys. Um, Thank you and very look much, after yourself. Keep eating and those tin guys, pies.
7: And you, remember, remember, we're getting nearer to the end. It's not the end of the beginning. It's not even the beginning of the end. But something's happening, fellas. Stay safe.
3: There we are, Mike Parry there and uh, Neil in Aberdeen and a number of others <laughs> asking us, ask us to point out that, of course, the sun's a star, not a planet. But we won't get, get in the way. We won't let that get in the way of Mike. Uh, giving, <laughs> telling us there's a new ice age coming. Thank you, Neil.
4: Um, it's, um, I'd love to see his book about Mike Tyson. It would have just yeah. had basically been like Alan's book, all about him. It was all about Mike,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Alan's book. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast.
3: Once again, we're going to uh, spin the clips of the week, Wheel of Fortune. We have in front of us a huge wheel, which we will now spin, and it will land on, on one particular date, and then we'll bring you the clips as they went out, warts and all, on that particular day. So let's spin the wheel. Well, would you believe it has landed on the 24th of September 2010, nearly 10 years ago we've been knocking out this rubbish. And so uh, here it is then, the Clips of the Week, as they appeared in their entirety back 24th of September 2010.
2: The Talk Sport Clips of the
4: Week. Yes, uh, we've got a dozen for you today, including a bit of music. Oh, yes, I always like a bit of music. Shall yeah. I start? Go on, then, yeah. Now, as you know, we've been conducting our excellent Andy McNabb competition on TalkSport this week. It's coming up soon. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And we've unearthed some real action hero experts among the listeners.
2: Steve, your questions. Who was Superman's alter eagle? Who was Superman's alter eagle? Uh, Dr. No.
3: Yeah, some real experts. <laughs> Doctor No, of Dr. course, no, uh, with uh, with yeah. Superman. So well done to him. Brilliant. And here's another one of those uh, classic Andy favourites.
7: Last call now on the police situation that we've been discussing here on the mid morning show. Let's go to Brighton. Beautiful Brighton down on the coast there. Sunshine at the weekend. And talk to John. Hello, John. Hello, John. Uh, hello, gentlemen.
3: Yes, yeah, so everybody's got their way of dealing. Yeah, he right. out hello, John. He oh, hello, gentlemen. He got yeah. his way out of yeah, it. he did. Really, Every yeah. caller has got their own way of getting out of it when they do that. Uh, that was John's. Uh, this is Jillie's.
2: Gillian in Coventry joins me now. Good
3: morning, Gillian.
5: Hello, Gillian. Oh, sorry. Hello, Gillian. <laughs>
4: Hello, Matt. There we are. Everybody's got their own way of dealing with it, it so you get the idea. Now, here's Keith Arthur on Fisherman's Blues, and uh, he's chatting about the fishing films. Oh, yeah. Now, Martin Bowler's made
3: lots and lots of famous fishing films.
4: hasn't oh, he, has, isn't he? Yeah. Many, many hundreds of them. As
7: Martin said, these things don't happen on a whim. They don't happen in the blink of an eye. Catching the impossible was four years in the making. A passion for angling was four years
4: in the making. I mean, Benner only took a year. Oh, that's true. Isn't it
7: it's Can't
8: a very
4: reduction. profitable, can <laughs> Four years is like gangs of New York, wasn't it?
1: About
3: <laughs> that? Oh, I'm sure, it's excellent, though. sure. It is. I'll get it for you from Blockbuster. <laughs> Thanks. You watch it over the weekend. Yeah, I will. There's an interesting turn of phrase from Alan.
2: Torres tried to get a shea sent off, but it was a clear foul, and another referee would have shown a red card. It's a bit like the kettle calling the kettle black. <laughs> Hang on, the kettle
3: calling? I'm not quite sure How that, that work? works. I think it works <laughs> slightly better than this one, though. United yeah. started like a
4: train on fire, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's don't a little know. bit dark, isn't it? <laughs> it is really. It's not ideal. Yeah. Here's a caller now to Ian Collins. Nina is in Western Supermare. Hi, Nina. Good evening,
5: How's
7: been Jacobs.
4: Pardon? Brilliant. That's one way of getting on clips of the week. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well done, Nina, you're in. Yeah. That's right. Now, this is uh, the top uh, athletics coach, Frank Dick, now speaking very highly of the Commonwealth Games.
7: That, that, that quite simply is the
5: position as it stands with 11 days to go, which is a long mm. time.
3: There oh, we are. It, is. it was Route 1.
7: <laughs>
4: but speaking very highly of the Commonwealth Games. <laughs> Here's Mike Perry now with the tennis competition. Now then, the answer to the question, who knocked out Andy Murray?
7: And of this year's US Open, you get three choices. A, Fernando Vadasco, B, Stanislas Warinka, or C, Novak Djokovic. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Mike Graham speaking for the nation there with that laugh. <laughs> really? yeah. Djokovic. Yeah, very much so. So uh, it's back to the callers, this time uh, to uh, Keith Arthur again. And this fellow who calls him seems very keen...
4: Mick's on the phone in Shepherd's Bush. Hi Mick. Oh
3: uh, morning Keith. How you doing? I'm um, okay, you sound I won't ask how you are, you always sound quite fit.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it just just shows you that sounds can be deceptive, more so than appearances.
3: <laughs> you never you never put it this way, you never sound uh rough, you always sound quite Reasonably fit. Yeah, yeah, maybe they should go to dinner the <laughs> pair of them. She, <laughs> this could be the, not, she's not rough, she's reasonably fit. <laughs> it could be the start of something. <laughs>
4: Brilliant. Right. And uh finally, uh, Alan talks finance with Hank Potts.
2: Uh right, what's the story he's down there? Uh, down there, Hank? Gold doing well again. Gold. It was funny
3: the way, yeah, he, said that. It the did, way he said that, didn't it? It did remind it's almost like yeah. he did it on purpose, wasn't yeah, it really? Surely. Nothing left.
2: you got the power to know
3: you're in this yeah it just fits Perfect. doesn't it he should Beautiful. be on the road with them there we are uh, there's your clips of the week uh, if you hear a clip on talk sport over the next seven days send it in to us talksport.co.uk uh, text 81089 give us a day and a time and if it's played you will always uh, get a credit uh, uh, Glyn Barrington's got one today mm. John Phipps has Steve Poulton uh, Phil Stuart Reed, Gilo come up with one Gilo I Gilo? Gilo
4: Gilo. Well, must be sure uh, there's only one Gilo uh,
3: Vivian Turner they suggested uh, clips that were play today so there we are that's the clips as I mean, they appeared back in 2010 on the 24th Of September. Yeah, good mention of
4: blockbuster there by you. (laughs) Fantastic. Oh yeah, (laughs) there's certain things.
3: And there was Mr. Parry then back in the day. We heard him in action, didn't we? There. So uh, anyway, we'll squeeze in striker. Oh yeah, Hank. We'll we'll squeeze in a bit of uh, striker for you. And we're going to rejoin Steve Bruce's murder mystery, of course, brought to life by the great Ian Danter with his Steve Bruce. Impersonation. It's uncanny. Uh, this is where we left off yesterday, the Lettersford town manager Steve Barnes is in the middle of a violent altercation with a couple of unnamed men in a building where he suspects one of his strikers, Jimmy Lawson, is hiding out.
8: The other guy didn't want to mix it anymore. He held up his hands in a gesture of surrender, but I was fired up. I hooked his legs with my left foot. He started to fall and a rabbit punch helped him to go down faster. I looked up at the CCTV. Somebody come down here and clean up. I snapped. I was angry. That doesn't happen often, but when it does, I'm no pussycat, unless you want a breed of tiger or leopard. Within a minute, a young guy in a black suit, did everyone round here wear black? appeared in the corridor. I, I'm so sorry, the young man gushed. "'You're the manager?' I asked. "'Terry Corston. I'm the proprietor.' "'Please come to my office,' Terry said. "'He turned to the goons. "'Mal, the pair of you, clean up here.' "'What kind of place is this?' I asked. "'A nightclub,' he replied. "'What kind of nightclub opened so early?' I asked. "'My dear, we're not open yet. "'Not in the, er, uh, normal way.' "'And what the hell is that supposed to mean?' He was clearly impressed to have the first-team coach of the local football club in his office, the man who for many years had been captain of Mulcaster United, just in case you forgot that team. But at the same time, he didn't wish to be too indiscreet. ''You have a very fit body,'' he said, evading my question. It was clear from his words, his manner, that Terry Causton was no ladies' man. ''So, why the hard men?'' I asked. ''That was a serious assault.'' gambling, dear, he said. What, illegal gambling, you mean? Serious money. Stacks. We get the big names from Leeds, Mulcaster, even Birmingham. He's my centre-forward playing. Jimmy Lawson, he asked archly. He plays roulette. Never poker. He has other interests, too. Like what? I asked. One doesn't like to say. (laughs) So there we are. <laughs> Times camp, have changed. Isn't he that fella? Not
3: a ladies' <laughs> man. Slightly camper Steve Bruce that dance is giving us. A bit method. What well, a bit method there, did very it. funny. He didn't have to inhabit, just inhabit
4: Steve. He had to inhabit <laughs> slightly camper Here's Steve. The other bloke... Yeah <laughs> Not a Very ladies funny. man I can't tell sake. now Whether he's ad-libbing Or it's Steve's comments It's hard I do, to a, the difference.
3: I do a read along with him And he's it, uh, To be honest oh. it's now, now and again He editorialises But most of the time They're the words of Steve <laughs> Bruce Rather shockingly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyway Well done to dance Well done to dance as That's always good.
2: The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily podcast From Talk Sport
3: Anyway Andy um, What else do you have for us today?
4: um yes (laughs) this nanny has been talking about at the uh time he gave alex ferguson the lift home Mm. and uh, he just missed a penalty and apparently alex ferguson blanked him completely (laughs) Imagine what an unpleasant journey how awkward (laughs) that must have been that must have been bad yeah i mean
3: (laughs) having missed the penalty and knowing what sort of the cold shoulder (laughs) he was going to get a why did he still offer or did Sir Alex do it just to to kind of get under his skin by sitting there just looking
4: straight ahead and not talking to him. That's a very good point. He just said, when we got back that evening, I took Sir Alex home, but he didn't talk to me. (laughs) We sat together in the front, but there was no talking at all. Oh, dear. (laughs) That's a a bit of an eggy uh, trip.
3: Uh, This is nice. Jonah Hill, he's got the dubious uh, honour of being the most foul-mouthed film actor of all time, mainly thanks to Wolf of Wall Street where his stats were impressive, where he swore 22.9 times every 1,000 words. So really good I, stats. I, I thought maybe they should be some kind of award ceremony for swearing in movies and the expletees or something. And um, I, I, I think it's quality as well as quantity. And if you're looking for a bit of quality, I would suggest Sir Ben Kingsley in Sexy Beast. Uh, that, that, was, that was elevating swearing to an art form. At times, not say, not necessarily the numbers, I'd, but just the sheer quality of the swearing.
4: I'd call the award ceremony the Sittens, I think. I mean, right. <laughs> the Sits, that's what it would be. Yeah. That's what it would be. The that's Sits, right. yeah. that would work. That, they would work, yes. Yeah, and uh, it. hmm. it's funny how everybody's getting their uh, tuppence worth in here. The Bat Conservation Trust oh, are yeah. not happy that bats are getting the blame for the virus. And you think, well, it isn't really their fault, is it? They didn't ask to be eaten, whatever else that came in. But anyway, they felt that they had to defend the humble bat. So they, they've taken on a
3: PR agency, it. the bats, have they? They're, they're, <laughs> I don't know about that. Just sitting there hanging upside it's, down, it's not ridiculous. bothering anybody. Uh, this, is the, this is what life's going to be like, Andy. It's a little window on the future when you go shopping. Uh, the good people at yeah. John Lewis, uh, they are considering quarantining items... Uh, that people have tried on in the shop. So you go in there, you try on a pair of kecks or you try on a uh, a jumper or whatever, and you decide you don't want it, you give it back. But they're saying they'll basically have to be, um, go to professional garment steamers, even after you've tried them on, because they they reckon the virus (laughs) can stick around on clothes for a while. So you can't just put them straight back into stock, and it's these little things you just don't think about. I mean certainly for the big retailers that I they
4: mean M&S and that's for added sake. costs as well for goodness yeah. sake that's that's difficult really. Yeah. Uh, do you see there's a plan to bring back footballers cribs on MTV and yeah. uh, I think it's such a bad idea the last thing people need to see now is footballers in their million pound rooms and all this sort of stuff. It's a, I can see the sort of attraction of it but I also think yeah. from a player's point of view not not a great idea to also, do. Also I mean in, in I'm the
3: poor old Delhi the alley Delhi Alley the other day, it might, it might end up being a kind of, you know, a sort of uh, little infantry yeah, for a local burglar. I mean, you don't... Oh, that looks nice. I'll be back there Wednesday. It's not a great idea, is it? So, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure if I was a player, i particularly want to be showing them off, but a number of players have signed up for it on MTV, so uh, we'll see. The Hawksby and
2: Jacobs Daily Podcast.
3: A man you'll know very well from Coronation Street. 25 years he has been running... Roy's roles uh, as Roy Cropper, his actor David Nilson. Good afternoon,
5: David. Good afternoon.
3: Is is Roy's roles? Uh, uh, is it cash only still, David? Or is he? Is he he's not oh. chip and pin yet. Yeah? He's not. He doesn't well, you take. watch it. Yeah, yeah. It's
5: like, he's always saying, "Yeah, on the house, on the house." I don't know how he makes a living. I've got yeah. no <laughs> idea. <that's laughs> really. He's the only character who mm. hasn't got a mobile phone. Is old yeah, Of Roy. course, yeah. Yeah, he's got a mobile phone. He's a, and I imagine with banking, he's probably got it stuffed in the mattress. <laughs> <laughs> have you, going to uh, rate the started... flat now upstairs? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah. true. <laughs> have you started
4: reshooting, uh, Corrie yet? Because we've heard ah, from neighbours yeah. that they've started we've this kind got, of distance um, shooting.
5: Yeah, we've got. We've we're, we're not started, but they've got. Um, they've got. There's a conference call this afternoon, and we, we'll know a bit more. That I think they're heading for June. Uh, with big changes big changes because at the moment we've got enough to take us to um july somewhere in july and then we mm. fall off a cliff so they're hoping to get back june and so we won't you know we won't have a break we, we, there'll be a couple of episodes that that acknowledges the lockdown and the you know the that impact of that, and then everything else will be social distance and, you know, make sense to people. But there'll only be two or three people in each scene, and it's going to be a whole different world. Um, Yeah, that's
3: interesting, David, isn't it? Because I was going to ask you that very question. You can't ignore the fact that the virus is happening so... Within Corrie, that world will exist because he said, "If you, you know, I'm, I'm worried about your yeah. business because it's not the biggest calf as it is. So if you've got <laughs> no, a socially distance, <laughs> you to get about three customers, and, and everything yeah. they get's on the house. Yeah. So you're not going to last either. long, are
8: you?
5: Yeah. <laughs> I know we're not, we're not, we're not. But fortunately, uh, in, the, in 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 Wellerfield things, I don't know. It's, it's, there's a magic, there's a magic world about that. You, you'll get away with it. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it is going to be interesting because I mean the staple of those shows are, uh, you know, like big scenes, big weddings, or, mm. you know, affairs, sure. fights, all physical <clears> things?
8: <throat> yeah. So,
5: if you just, so it's going to be really, really interesting. We're going to have to... And, but I reckon it's like there's been so much invention and, mm. and ingenuity of people during this that things are going to come out and it's going to be... There'll be stuff you will want to revert to, but there'll be stuff that you don't and that you find new ways of doing stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, you know, it's quite. I mean, enjo- I'm quite enjoying having this sabbatical. Mm. I mean, I am lucky because I've got a garden and everything, and you know, uh, and it's springtime. But um, you know, and we're not, you know, we're stuck in a block of flats somewhere.
3: No, it's true. Um, we um, should talk a bit. Of, we should talk a Leicester City with you because we know uh, over the years, infamously, you've 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 sneaked a few Leicester favourites and sneaked yeah. the club into episodes of Corrie.
5: So. <laughs> Yes, yeah, they were. Yeah, in the early days, of course. Once you're sussed, you can't do it because all the crew are mm. so, you know, they're so, yeah, they're so switched on to football. Um, Man United, Man City, Liverpool, mostly Everton, you know, and uh, they, you know, and also Leicester now are, are sort of a major team. So when I was putting them in, they were sort of upstarts, really. Yeah. Um, uh, it was names like Steve Claridge that went in, and I managed to worm in and things How did you like introduce
3: that. Steve into into a, into a script?
5: Uh, well, it was it was, it was like I was letting an extra out of the door, you know, locking up, mm. and uh, you know, it was just I let the extra out, and I just said, uh, "Good night, Mister Claridge," and just that was it. <laughs> and <that just> <laughs> on. nobody batted an eyelid, and there it stayed in. Um, there was the, there was another incident where he's something about a cooker knob, uh, yeah. I there was a, he, he got this obsession with replacing the cooker knob. There was something wrong with it. And he got to get the serial number off the back of the thing. And I, I managed to change it to... Uh, and they just won the uh, League Cup. Mm. Uh, and so and it was like... Uh, yeah, it was L L L C 96 And that was... Uh, and it went through. That was, yeah, <laughs> so, but not Perfect. now. I think they're a bit more... They They know what I'm up to. And yeah. also... They don't need it. Leicester don't need the publicity now. They're sort of world-famous yeah. brands. Of course. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's quite... It's. <clears throat> sorry, Roy.
4: <clears throat> Roy. Yeah, go on. <laughs> you Roy. Brilliant. Of course, Roy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Andy loves, Andy it. loves pretty, a character. <laughs> yeah, yeah I I do. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I was <laughs> going to say, David, that uh, it's amazing what's happened to Leicester, isn't it? Because not just the winning the title, that was one thing, one off, but this season, been yeah. Really establishing them as a top four team, I and mean, you must be delighted with Brendan Ross and the progress the team have made and the young squad that they've
5: got. Oh, amazing! But it's—I mean, it's since they were were taken over by the the this, this Thai family, the the whole sort of way it's been set up has been planning for the future. So, although yeah, that, that that was an amazing season. They won the when they won the league, absolutely mm. incredible. And you know, I'd never dreamt it. Well, David, it's been lovely
3: to talk to you. And uh, nice to talk to keep you. well. And uh, we look forward to yeah. having you back on our screens on Corrie soon. Okay, thank you very much. Nice Good to, to talk, talk to, to you. you. David Nilsson there, mine. of course, Roy Cropper in uh, Corrie. And as you hear, they are they, they're looking to get back on very soon. Uh, that's great. I've, I've won man. some money today because I had a tenner with Paddy Powell that you call him Roy. So uh, <laughs> I think if I only got even, <laughs> that's right. because Paddy knows
2: <laughs> you, of course. Cool. <laughs> Tony Beckton I called him Dave that was a disaster so brilliant <laughs> fantastic The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport
3: so there we are that's this afternoon's show we're back tomorrow from one the moose will give us his uh, golden years quiz we'll have other assorted guests I'm sure and uh, yeah another busy one so until then thanks ever so much for listening and uh, take
2: care you've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4pm
0: on TalkSport